0: I think that may be my new favorite worship song. I love that song. How many of you all are blessed by being in church today? I, I, I am glad to be here today. Amen. Uh, we're in a series called The Church That Puts God First. And uh, uh, for those of you that are this is your first time here joining us online, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are in a <clears throat> series about what we can do as a church. The whole year theme is God First. How can we put God first in everything? And so we're about it in a church, as a church, putting God first. And the, t- the thing today is a relational church, main thing is community is the church's greatest tool, reaching the lost and building the body. All right, I, I found this uh, statement that I thought was really interesting, this, this little pick here. Nobody talks about Jesus' miracle of having 12 close friends in his 30s that you know we talk about uh, walking on water changing water to wine but i think that may have been his biggest miracle because as we are getting as we get older and everything i'm am, I am valu- i'm finding more value in friendships and community i didn't used to do that but we as americans are not very good at it we don't, uh, we don't initiate phone calls to get together with lunch or coffee. Uh, we don't do the work it takes to maintain friendships and therefore, Americans tend to be some of the loneliest people on the planet and that makes us very, very vulnerable to social media uh, and, and interacting with avatars on a screen than real people, okay? And that has not been good for us, it has not been good for our society, it's not been good for our kids. Um, it is just, it's not the way it is. So the, the church has an amazing responsibility, amazing thing to develop community. And this is not just something that we're going to, that, that's, that's by the wayside. This is essential to living life as a Christian and putting God first. Here's some sayings that many of us learned as kids. See if you can finish these for me. Keep your friends close and your enemies. Wow. A friend walks in when the rest of the world walks out. If you lie down with dogs, get up with fleas. That must be an older one because it was all the older people saying that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Now, that may not be talk, taught about a whole lot. But, uh, uh, guys, the Bible constantly talks about who we are in fellowship with, who we are friends with, uh, and, and the dangers and the blessing of the people around us. Proverbs thirteen twenty says this, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Uh, Proverbs 12, 26 says this, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. 1 Pro- Corinthians 15, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. See, even 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, they knew that the people you walk with determine who you are. Uh, when, when I was a youth minister, I would tell parents, Show me your f- kids' friends, and I'll show you your kid. Because that's the way it is. If you want to know who your kid is, parents, look at who they hang out with. Plain and simple. And, and, and I see the, the bristles, of, oh, no, 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 my kid is the good kid. He's just hanging out with bad friends. Nope. Nope, because every single parent is saying that about every other kid in that group. Mine's the good kid, and yours is the bad kid. No, nope. There's no such thing as a good kid that hangs out with bad friends. It's a bunch of bad kids. And so that's just the way it is. We are who we hang out with. We are who we f- fellowship with. And we become the people we hang out with the most. And that's good and bad. So choose your community wisely. And, church, it is time that we take community and friendship seriously because Christianity is more caught. Then it is taught. Remember that. So the main thing is that community is the church's greatest tool for reaching the loss, building the body of Christ. First thing we got to do with community is reach the loss, reaching the loss. John 13, 35. Jesus said this: By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Church, it is our job to love one another. People in here, starting with the body, starting with with the church, loving the people here. Uh, Tertullian in the second century Tertullian was a church father who's the bishop uh, and and he said this Talk about living in a pagan society a non-christian society. He said this I've often heard the pagans say Look how the Christians love one another for we ourselves hate one another talking about pagans And how they are ready to die for each other for we ourselves are readier to kill each other 1800 years ago they were looking at a difference between the way the church behaved and the way the rest of the world behaved. All right. Uh, Tony Campolo, one of my favorite preachers, told a story about preaching in a church. He, he, went, he was invited to preach in a church and he, he went and he preached the, on the love of God, preached on the love of God. And as he got done, he saw there was a man in the back and the man was red-faced. He said his fists were clenched and his teeth were clenched and his eyes were closed. And, and, and he was just angry as all get out. He was, you could tell this guy was just hacked off. And, and as he was leaving, the guy was right there by the door and he was just, you know, and, and Camp Paul was like, man, this guy's going to knock me out. This, this, this guy's going to punch me out. I don't know what I said, but uh, this guy's going to, I'm up my put up my dukes. You know, and, uh, and, and he went up to the guy, he said, I don't know why I did this, but I went up to him and I said, sir, I don't know what you're dealing with today, but God loves you and if you will let them, the people in this church will love you too. And the guy opened his eyes and stared daggers to him and, 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 and left. And he said, maybe I shouldn't have said that, I don't know. Well, the next year, he got invited back to that same church, and he said, as he was preaching, he noticed the same guy, but he was sitting in the front row, and, uh, and, and the, 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 the entire time, he was distracted preaching. He's like, what is this guy sitting on the front row for? And, and he uh, <clears throat> got done preaching, and he was trying to, like, get out the side door, but the guy wouldn't have any of that. He made a beeline for Tony Paulo and he said, you remember me? And the guy said, yeah, yeah, you're, you're the guy that was, I thought was gonna knock me out last year. And he goes, that's right. He goes, do you know what was going on that day? And Paul said, no. He said, earlier that week, I had buried the only person that had ever loved me. The only person that had ever loved me, my wife, had died. And the pastor here had done, had, had done the, the funeral. I wasn't a member of this church, but I figured I owed him one, so I went to church. And he goes, you preached on the love of God that morning. And he said, and I was upset, I was hurting. And he said, but I remember what you said, that God loved me, and if I would let them, the people of this church would love me too. He goes, I decided to give it a chance. And he said, you know what, pastor, you're right. These people do love me. And I've become a Christian because of the love of the people in this church. I just wanted you to know that. See guys, before the guy could hear the gospel, he had to have friends. He had to be loved before he could hear the gospel. If there isn't love, no one will hear the gospel. See, friendship generally becomes for discipleship. Uh, You know the formula you're supposed to have when you become a Christian, right? The formula, the experts, you know, the geniuses tell you? The formula goes something like this, is that you hear the gospel, you receive the gospel, you repent, uh, you are baptized, then you join the church, and then you get into a community group and you grow, and then you become a church planter who plays with motorcycles and that kind of thing. That's, what, that's the path that the geniuses tell you. Well, you guys want to know what my path was? I don't have a I didn't have a path. If anybody looked at my path to Christianity, to Christ, they would say this is, this is the strangest, craziest thing you've ever seen. My, I, I kind of walked back through my path to Christ. It looked something like this. Um, I, I met some Christians. Uh, I became friends with them. Uh, I, I walked away from some toxic friends, Um, I got into church, then I got out of church, then I got into church, then I got out of church, then I got back into church, I met some more people, I got to be friends with them. Uh, Somewhere along the line, God called me to ministry, Uh, then I started reading the Bible, then I went to seminary, then I was baptized. Okay, you guys see how out of order all of this is? I didn't have a path to follow. But I will tell you this. The one thing that was constant through all of that was Christian friends. As I was learning, as I was developing my beliefs, as God was growing me, I had a community of people that I was friends with that continued to speak into my life. That's why I'm here standing in front of you right now. That's why I am a believer in Christ. Because in those vulnerable years where I didn't know my beliefs, I didn't have my thoughts together, I didn't have my beliefs, I didn't have my faith, I had friends that were the anchor for me. And that was how I became a Christian. It wasn't because they were great theologians, geniuses or because they knew everything about the bible or anything like that they were just friends with me and they loved me and if it wasn't for those christian friends i wouldn't be here i wouldn't be in the, on this stage i would not be in ministry i probably wouldn't be in church i, I probably wouldn't even be a christian you all See, the one thing that was constant through all of that weird path that i took was christian community and i'm forever thankful for it and I don't know what your path looks like. I don't know if you've taken the textbook path that all the geniuses say that this is the way you get to be a Christian. If that's you, that's wonderful. I'm glad that's you. That wasn't me. And if, you are, if, you are, if your path looks kind of like mine, then the only thing you've got is Christian community that's gonna keep you anchored as you're figuring things out as God is growing you in your faith, as you're maturing. As, and so I'm just telling you, the Christian, Christian community and the love of the body of Christ is the greatest witness to the, uh, to the non-Christian we've ever seen. Guys, I'm telling you, we, have, we, have our, we need to get our house in order. We need to make sure that we are loving each other and that we are friends, that this is a place of joy, this is a place of peace, a pl- place of love, because if we have that going on, then there will be people breaking down the door to get in here to find out what we've got. And then that, that, the Christian community is the greatest witness. Like Tertullian said, look how these Christians love each other. For the non-Christian world, we hate each other. I mean, there's a group of people over here that love each other, that, that accept each other, that, 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 that are in fellowship together. Man, sign me up. That's the greatest witness to Christ the world has. And so that the community is how we reach the lost, all right? Second thing is building the body, building the body. Community is also essential for the next steps after that, for building up the church, okay? Um, what, one thing that about, happened about five, eh, f- five years ago, four years ago, somewhere around there, we were having tons of people visit our church, tons of people, like every Sunday morning people were visiting our church, and we weren't growing because people were leaving just as soon as as just as many people were coming in, we're leaving. And we were basically a revolving door, people coming in, people going out like a sieve. That's what this church was. And we, we how how do we figure this? Is, is, is it the preaching? Is it the music? Is it the children's ministry? Is it what what is it? And we realized something. That without friendships, people don't stay. People may come to this church because of preaching, because of music, or anything, but they'll only stay if they have friends. If you do not have friends in this room right now, if you don't have friends in this room right now, you're gonna be here less than two years. I'm calling it now. Less than two years, you will be out the door. You won't be here. And when people are leaving, then discipleship cannot take place. You cannot disciple someone that you are not in relationship with. So if people are coming in and leaving, that's a big problem. We can't accomplish the mission of the church. We can't build up the body, okay? So that is why friendship is so important and community is so important. It may be the most essential thing a church does because without friendship, we cannot do discipleship. You'll be gone, right? right. But when you have friends, there's some changes that happen. When you feel part of the community, there's some things that change about the Sunday morning experience. See, everybody in here is is listening to this sermon through a filter. I don't know if you know that or not. So every person is listening through a filter, all right? Some of you like what you're hearing. Some people don't like what you're hearing. Some people are passive. Some people are engaged. What Does it have to do with this? No, it has to do with the filter that you are looking at this service through, And if you have friends here, if you feel part of the body, there's some things that change. The first thing is this, you will hear the music differently. When you are in community, when you are in fellowship, when you have friends in this room, the music is different. The music, you'll hear it. You engage in the music. You're not just a passive, disinterested observer. You actually engage in it because this is what the family's doing. Second thing, you'll hear the sermon differently. You will actually hear the sermon differently. You will hear a a different thing. Your attitude towards it will be different. You will be engaged in it. You will be picking up, hey, this is something that we can do as a family. You will hear it differently. You will see baptisms differently. When we baptize someone, you will see it differently. It won't be just something that's happening in a building somewhere. This is in addition to your family. See the difference? when you are engaged, when you have friends, all right, you'll see, you'll see baptism differently. You'll see giving differently. Giving, one of the most offensive things that the church does. You know, I was always told, oh, make sure you don't talk about giving. What a bunch of wimps. Why can't we talk about giving? Why can't we? People are talking about money all the time, out in the world, all the time. Why can't we talk about it here? Jesus said that, that this is the biggest competitor for our heart with, for God is money. Why can't we talk about it in here? Why are we so wimpy? See, that, that upsets some people. Well, if you have friends here, then you'll see giving very, very differently. It's not some preacher begging for your money. It's, this is what we do to, to make the family better. Acts 4, 32 through 35 says this, all the believers were in one heart and mind, No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put them at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone who had need. You think that's a bunch of strangers doing that for each other? No, those were friends. Those were people who loved each other and they saw the, the, they saw the care for the people and the community as their job and that's why they gave. See, so you, commu- you look at giving completely differently when you have friends and you are part of the community. It's not something that I have to give. This is something that we do as a family. See the difference? You'll see communion differently. When I take communion, I'm not just eating bread and drinking juice, I used to do that. I I used to just, oh man, that tastes pretty good, I'm thirsty. I used to do that. But now I realize it's something that believers in Christ have been doing for 2,000 years. Uh, In every country, every culture, every language, every every skin color, ethnicity, big cathedral, tiny hut, urban, rural, whatever, community's connection not only with Christ, but with his entire church throughout throughout the world, throughout time. And when you're part of the family, you understand that. The second thing that happens, though, when, when you are in community, when the church does community well is this, is that the, the community changes your life goals, right? Uh, Matthew 28, 19 20, we've been given this command. We talk about it all the time, and we'll continue to talk about it all the time because this is our mission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. How many of y'all like to show blue bloods? You know, like to show blue bloods? I, like, I, I love that show. All right, what's one thing that the, that the Reagan family does every Sunday? They eat dinner together, right? They eat dinner around the table and they pray together and no matter how much they've been at each other's throats, they're always at the table talking it out and, because that's what the family does, right? That's what they do as a family. And I'm sure there are times when they don't want to. I'm sure that Danny and, and, and uh, 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 Jamie are, are, are at it like this, you know, that they're, they're arguing and everything. And I'm sure that there's times they don't want to be at that table, but that's what they do. They're there because that's what the family does, because that's what we do as a family. And when you are part of a family, you develop givens. It's just given, right? Uh, in, in my family, it's a given that you always give dad the remote control. Just a given. And if you believe that one, i got a bridge to sell you. Every family has givens, and what comes from being part of a family. Some families go to the beach every year. That's what they do. It's just assumed. It's just known that you're going to the beach on a vacation this year. Uh, Some families, it's giving at Thanksgivings at Grandma's house. It's just just the way it is. It's always been that way. That's what we do as a family, right? The same way when the church has community, givens develop. We get together on Sunday morning. We don't miss Sunday morning because that's what we do as a church. We're together as a family on Sunday morning. Um, we meet in community groups. That's a given. That's what we do as a church family. I mean, you're part of this family. That's what you do. All right? We prioritize missions. Uh, very, very, very common for people to take their vacation and go on a mission trip because that's what we do as a family. That's what we do as a church. That's a given. We love each other. We reserve Sunday morning for worship only. Uh, lots of things is what we do as a family. And those things become the norm, not the exception. I would love for a given in this church to be, we routinely expect young men, women from our church to be going into ministry. We routinely, it's, it's a given on our church staff. Our, our, our youth minister, Donovan, came into my office and was, we were just talking about church planting. And he made the, made the observation, it's very difficult to be on this staff and not talk about church planting. Because we talk about it all the time. It's a given. And I would love to see people leave this church to go plant Churches. And build the body that way. I want that to be a given because that's what we do as a family. See, the people who join our church, children who grow up in our church, they catch these things, you all. They catch these things. And they are, not, they are taught by your example. And see so you engage in these things, they catch it. That's just what we do. Okay? So a community of believers living out their faith is the greatest witness to the world of what, the, what Christ, really, who Christ really is. And I would say community and friendship is the greatest shaping force in our lives. I mean, people can preach at me all day long. I may listen, I may not. Same with you. People may preach at you all day long. You may listen, you may not. But when you are friends in a group and your group does this thing, it's a powerful shaping force. Powerful. And if we truly want to raise up champions in this church, we have to have a healthy champion culture because those become the givens. If we are lukewarm as a church, if we take our faith eh, somewhat seriously, somewhat not, what are we going to raise? We're going to raise a bunch of a bunch of lukewarm kids. We're going to raise we're going to have a bunch of lukewarm people in this church. That's not what we want, All right? The third thing is this: The community gives you the chance to be influential. Gives you a chance to be influential. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul says this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. What a powerful statement that is. How many of you all right now would like to stand up in front of this church or in front of this community and say, hey, everybody, I am following Christ so well that I want everyone to follow my example because I'm following Jesus' example so well. Anybody wanna do that? You understand what Paul is saying here? He is saying this is a dangerous statement. That I'm following Christ and I want you guys to follow me. How many of you all would dare to make that statement? I hope a lot of you would. You're like, what, what are you talking about? Is that arrogant? No, no. I hope a lot of you would make that statement because that's what we need in this church. We need a bunch of people who take their their faith so seriously that you are the example to the others in this church. That's what community is. We need people following Christ so passionately and say, hey, I'm following Christ, follow along with me. Walk this path with me. That's what we need. That's what a mentor is. That's what an elder does. That's what a pastor is supposed to do. Those are what we need. And the fact that no one raised their hands or would dare say that, it means that we do not have a culture of leadership and example in this church. I would love for there to be people saying, you know what? Yes, I want you to follow me because I'm following Christ. I'm not perfect, but I'm following Christ, and I want you to walk this, walk this journey with me because that's what we need in this church. For so long, mature believers in Christ, people who've been walking with Christ for 30, 40 years, have refused to be that example, and the church has suffered because of it. We need people that are decidedly mentors and decide to be influential and say, we'll take the the young men and the young women or the middle-aged new believers in Christ and say, listen, I'm gonna mentor you. I'm gonna disciple you. I'm gonna teach you what it means to follow Jesus Christ. I'm gonna pass on everything I know about Jesus Christ. And it may not be much, but I'm gonna tell you everything I know and I'm gonna slide it over to your side of the table and you're gonna learn everything that I know. I'm gonna pass it on to you with the expectation that you're gonna pass it on to someone else. That's how the church grows. The community gives you the chance to be influential like that, to be a shaping force in someone's life, maybe even winning them to Christ so they'll be in heaven instead of hell when they die. No greater calling is that. But if you are living your faith in isolation, if you don't think the church is important, if you think that you can do it all on your own, you lose the chance to disciple someone, the chance to be influential. Paul, in this statement right here, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, assumes that there's a community. Who's he talking to? He's sitting at the house on Sunday morning, saying, well I can follow Jesus better without all these hypocritical church people. No, it's not what he was saying. He was engaged in community and he said, I want you guys to follow me, learn from me. And maybe one of these days, you'll be better than me. That's the goal. So community gives you a chance to be influential. If you are a Christian who's been walking with Christ for a long time and you are mature in your faith, you say, well, what does that mean? You know what, if you're mature or not. You need to be influential. You need to be mentoring. You need to be discipling. You need to find someone who's not as far along as you, and you need to say, hey, we need to be getting coffee. Let's get coffee once a week. Let's sit down. Let's, let's go out for lunch on Wednesday, whatever it is, and let's just talk Jesus. Let's, let's grab a book and let's study together. Let's, uh, let's, let's study scriptures together. Let's do something, but I'm going to pour into you because I believe that it is my job to, to be a mentor to you. That's what we need and the fact that, that, we, that, that the church by and large doesn't have that has caused us to suffer, has not made us what we need to be, okay? Um, in Exodus 17, 10 through 13, there's a really strange story that I thought, I, I, I was just studying it this week, and it just hit me. Um, it is a story from when the nation of Israel came out of slavery, and being led by Moses. And they were attacked by a country called the Amalekites, by people called the Amalekites. That's the sons of Amalek, Amalekites, okay? And they were a fierce group, and and the nation of Israel had just come out of slavery. They hadn't established themselves, and pretty vulnerable, okay? And then something really strange happens. uh, Aaron, I mean uh, Moses, had two guys named Aaron and Hur, and they were his Community. And check this out. Joshua went out to f- fight the Amalekites. This is in uh, Exodus 17, 10 through 13. It's not in your outline. Uh, as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. Uh, when he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on each side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Malachite army with the sword. I remember learning that when I was in Sunday school as a kid, right? I just remember pictures of Moses sitting on top of a hill like this. And when I was a kid, this story, i saw it just kind of this nice little story, and I thought about, I wonder if Moses, you know, watched, he you know, went like this, and all of a sudden the Israelites went, and he took them down, they, you know, I wonder if he went, you know, like one hand. I wonder if he went, you know, I, I always wondered if he messed with them, because he could see the battle going, bis- and, and I, as a kid, I remember that. I remember thinking, um, how long do you think he was able to hold his hands up? I, I remember thinking that, and then when, I heard the guys' names were Aaron and Her. I was like, I wonder if Her. I, I wonder if he was like the youngest of ten brothers, and mom wanted a sweet little girl, and and you know, found out he was a boy. Just name him Her, you know, this kind of thing. I I, I remember thinking that and just bypassing the entire meaning of this incident. But now, as I was thinking about it this week. I was thinking about this, and I realized the point of what was going on. God was showing us something, not just back then, but now. Something very powerful. I want to pass it on to you. Your lack of friendships or community doesn't just affect you. See, had Moses gone up there on the hill and kept his arms up as long as he could in his own strength, his people that depended on him were doing okay. But when his strength gave out, as yours will, because you're human, because you're mortal, your strength's gonna give out, did it affect him? No, it affected the people that were depending. Your lack of community, your lack of brothers, or lack of sisters who are walking through life with you, holding your hands up when you can't hold them up. Your lack of that is destroying the people that depend on you, your family, your place of business, your friends, the people that matter to you. That is what the point of this story is: is that it wasn't Moses who, who when his strength gave out, who suffered. It was the people that depended on his strength. In the same way, men, if you don't have a community that is lifting you up and speaking positive things into your life and encouraging you, when your strength gives out, your family is toast. Same thing, women, moms, if you don't have people lifting your arms when you can't lift them yourself, You don't have a a sisterhood or some friends around you, your family, your kids, your life. Those are the ones that hurt. It's not just us. When you launch off on your own and you don't have a Christian community around you, it's only a matter of time before every single person that depends on you gets beat. That's the purpose. That's the point of this story, you all. And I have had so many instances in the 23 years I've been a pastor where people, broken people, have come to me and said, my family's a mess. The people that, I, that are pinning on them, letting them down right and left, and the common thread running through every single one of them is that they didn't have friends. They didn't value people. They didn't invest They didn't take the time to cultivate friendships. They didn't engage in community. They just thought that was stupid, that's pointless, I won't like that, that makes me uncomfortable and they launch off on their own and when their hands get tired and they drop them, they've got nobody to lift them up and the family gets destroyed. That's the point of Exodus 17. So I'm telling you people, If you don't have that community, and you don't engage in friendship, and you don't have Christian brothers and sisters around you to lift you up when you can't lift your own hands up, it's only a matter of time before it all falls apart. It's only a matter of time. And your strength is gonna give out, just a matter of when. I wanna invite the band to come on back up. Community, friendships, we have to be excellent at this church. We have to be excellent at it. There's no room in here for, go- for drama, for gossiping, for bickering, for factions. There's no point, no place for it at all. There's no place for it. We are to love each other. And so I'm going to give you this command that God has given us and I'm giving to all of us. Let us love one another.